Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I have, a, I have a reason to push them to be the best that they can be because I want to go do well and not be embarrassed when I show up and look like I, you know, I've never been to a test before. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? You train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field of prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody. Me and Adam are coming at you with our first episode from a retriever guy, finally. After uh, months of trying and people asking, we finally got a retriever guy on. So uh, we're excited to have Ian Kelly on, and we talk everything retrievers today. Yeah, it's a good time. We get to hear... uh a lot of different ways of training dogs uh, compared to what we're used to with versatile dogs. So, well, testing time. anyway. We don't. Yeah, we don't touch too much on the training this time. We're going to have him back on to talk more specifically on this. But he just kind of gives us a rundown on on his history and and dogs that he's dealt with, and some HRC, some AKC, kind of what each test is kind of made of. And then uh, we'll have him back on here soon to to really dive deep into some of the actual retrieving training processes. Yeah. And as we talk about it, it's, I guess I just start thinking about how you would train for some of this stuff in comparison to a versatile dog. And, um, you know, the untrained eye or ear would probably think, well, there's not that much of a difference, but there's a pretty big difference. I think, you know, in the testing and stuff like that. And, uh, probably a big difference in the training methods too, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's some of the same theories, if that makes sense. Yep. Dogs learn the same way, just the end result's different. So I um, hope you guys enjoy this and 
yeah, besides uh, besides talking to Ian, anything else new with you and your world? No, not really. Uh, the, the quarantine's starting to get the best of me. I've been <laughs> lazy the past couple of days. It's been rainy, and uh, I've got to commit to getting out and training a little bit, you know, so we got to get the dogs out this week, Nick, and get some stuff done because we were hitting it hard there for a while, and, and it's just starting to fade off. It's easy to get lazy on this stuff. You yeah, know? the past few days have been pretty rainy, and Today I got desperate enough to to get out of the house and do something. I took the dogs to uh, Tractor Supply, and I, I got a uh, the first time I had somebody guess my white German Short Air <laughs> Pointer. Uh, usually you get something that it's like you know Dalmatian or, or something blue but tick, blue tick, hound, <laughs> whatever. This this guy came up. He said, "I know what that is." I'm like, oh, "It never goes good when you start off that way." And sure enough, he guessed a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Yep. Yeah, just uh, 30 pounds lighter, <laughs> uh, much shorter tail, much shorter, and uh, white with a significant haircut, <laughs> I guess. Dark tail, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I thought that was funny, but yeah, it was uh, it was funny anyway. But yeah, that's that's my side story for the week that happened this morning. I thought that was worth mentioning because I know we've touched on that on previous episodes before. But uh, yeah, good times and. Well, if you don't have anything else, we can get to Ian here in a second. Everybody remember to go check out Facebook, Instagram, Gundog It Yourself. Hit that subscribe button, leave a rating and review, share with a friend, and appreciate it. Hope everybody's being safe out there. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need, from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, so we have Ian Kelly on the line. We've been trying to get a retriever guy on the podcast for some time now, and Ian finally was uh, desperate enough or to to come on and throw us a bone here. Ian, how you doing tonight? I don't know if I'm desperate. You guys yeah, might. Des- you guys <laughs> might be desperate. If we're the desperate ones, show. you're not desperate. You weren't begging us. We're like, man, we got to get somebody on that knows retrievers. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I, I'll do my best to confuse a lot of people. <laughs> That's what we're all good for. So, start off with the obvious. Tell everybody where you're from. Um, I'm. My name is Ian Kelly. I am from the southernmost tip of Ohio. Um, we're very well known for our pill problem. Uh, Portsmouth, <laughs> Ohio has made several documentaries nationwide. Um, we've had some missing women come up. So, pretty interesting part of the country. Um, I probably, if I had to consider myself anything at all, um, I'm just an outdoorsman. I deer hunt. I turkey hunt. I duck hunt. Goose hunt. If I can shoot upland birds, I will. Um, squirrels, rabbits, you name it. Uh, it's just kind of the way of life around here. It's, you know, we we focus, you know, most guys will focus on bow hunting or, or focus on waterfowl hunting or, you know, but we all grew up, you know, most of us started off in the squirrel woods and that's just kind of, you know, where we got our start. 
Yeah, and you either go from squirrel woods to pills or branch out into something else, it sounds like, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, well, most people have to fund their hobbies. You know, if, if they're buying pills, they've got to sell, you know, hides or... There we go. Oh, wow. So... Uh, you're speaking my language. You're a generalist outdoorsman. That's what I like. So, right, right. Uh, yeah, we're we're gonna break the ho- the hard stuff and get off the pills right now. Uh, so, all right. So, you're a generalist outdoorsman. What what got you going in, into dogs? Were you always into dogs, or was just your hunting take you down that path eventually? That's a a really long story. Really, um, I'll try to condense it as much as I can. Um, I grew up, my dad didn't hunt. Um, I had several uncles on my mom's side that, that hunted. Um, my earliest memories of being, you know, in the outdoors, um, in a hunting capacity when I was, you know, four or five years old, my uncle, um, after church on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, he ran coon dogs. Oh, Um, nice. Oh, I mean, I can remember, man, grabbing onto the, his his belt to that hold it held his light on his waist, and him dragging me through thick, thickets to to trees, and <laughs> um, so that's kind of where I got my start in the outdoors. Um, once I started school and sports and stuff, you know that that stuff, you know, having to get up early to go to go to school, um, that all kind of went by the wayside. Um, then I got a little older. Um, probably 12, 13. And one of my other uncles started taking me, uh, deer hunting in, in the fall, uh, you know, youth season, gun season. Um, and that kind of really lit my fire for the outdoors, I guess it, you know, it was a different game. I, I, you know, I was the kid that we had a pond, you know, close to our house and I, I would spend all of the grass cutting money I got all summer on every lure and every new, new gimmick to catch bass, you know, um, but so then he, he got me in and I have been whole hog on, on hunting in the outdoors since then. Um, shortly after we went on, you know, my first deer hunt, I might, it might've been the same season. Uh, he had two black labs, uh, English bred dogs, you know, nothing, nothing out of anything super high pedigreed as far as the trials or hunt tests are concerned. Um, but, but nice, nice dogs nonetheless. Um, and this lady close to home has a pond literally right on her back door and she had geese come in and she called my uncle and we went and fixed her problem with the geese. And I got to watch his dogs work for the first time. And I can remember just being mesmerized and not worrying about anything else that was going on, but my uncle working with his dog and picking up the birds, you know, I, I kind of would just set back and, and that, that was really where I got my love. Um, didn't get into dogs on my own until several, several years later. Um, but that's kind of what drives me and, and kind of got, got kind of got the bug in me, um, for labs and, and waterfowl hunting. I think the, the bug is in most of us, you know, like you don't have to teach a a kid how to like zoom a car back and forth on a table and it, right. and just like you don't have to teach a kid how to do that i think most of us as as boys have this desire to have a dog you know i mean right movies like old yeller exist because <laughs> because they're true right so oh sure i i think that bug was already in there and your uncle kind of kind of lit the the fire that was already built it sounds like and you know we were joking around at the beginning about like the the pill problems and stuff in in that area and i'm you know i'm not from uh too far away from you 
if it wasn't for your uncle getting you involved, you probably could have gone down a different path. Cause I know if I didn't get involved with outdoor stuff, I could have ended up down a different path too. So we joke about it, but you know, there's a couple different fires that are built in us. And if someone lights the wrong one, it can really be light life changing. And when someone lights the correct one, it changes your life too, I think. For sure. And, and again, some of my problem is I'm, I'm kind of high and I don't want to call it a problem. I'd, I'd have a whole lot more money, I guess, if it wasn't a problem, but, yeah. um, it, it kind of, let me see, where was I going with that? Um, I, I've always been busy. I played three sports in high school. Um, not great at any of them, but I played three sports in high school. Um, I worked up around the house, cut firewood. So from a, from an early, early age, I was super busy and just constantly going and going and going. Well, once I got out of college and kind of just sat down, there wasn't a whole lot for me to do. So I ended up looking, you know, we all are searching, we go through our phases and a lot of mine was bow hunting. And then I found the dogs, you know, I, I, I bow, I was a bow hunter guy for a long time and then kind of found the dogs and, you know, was, was ready to rock and roll with that. And that's kind of what takes up my time now. Absolutely. So with, with your whole history and the labs really stoking that fire, so to speak, like y'all were just touching on, is that all you do right now is, is the labs or do you have the coonhound still, or do you mess around with bird dogs? Listen, I would love to have a kennel full of rabbit dogs, upland dogs, pointer, you know, I would love to have one of every breed. Um, But unfortunately, I kind of sort of live in town. It's, you know, we're, we're a little bit out of town, but we live in a little neighborhood and just not conducive to having a kennel full of dogs. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, so you just have labs right now, right? Yeah. Well, we've got, I've got, I, I personally have two labs and, um, I adopted, I, I, with a, with a relationship ended up with a, with a pit bull. Um, but he's our, he's our biggest baby. He's a <laughs> entitled, entitled princess. So. Gotcha. So, so you have two labs. I know you, uh, you've been kind of going through a lot with one of them. Tell us about Kane. Okay. Um, Kane is my seven-year-old yellow. Um, he, so if we back this story up some, when I turned 18, um, I kind of was dabbling with, um, with the idea of getting a lab and duck hunting and didn't realize how expensive it was and how time consuming it was. Um, ended up with a, with a little chocolate female out of a, you know, a backyard bred breeding. Um, you know, I thought like any young kid, well, any dog can do this. You just got to spend the time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have the knowledge nor the time to devote to making her a duck dog. Um, she had plenty of brains, uh, super healthy. Fast forward about five years, um, and I decided, you know, I wanted to do her justice. Um, I've kind of got my head screwed on straight. I'm not in college anymore. I'm, I'm you know, doing my own thing. Um, I ended up having a litter out of her. I found a really nice yellow male, um, did all my research, made sure that she had all of her health, you know, health testing, her OFAs, her elbows, her eyes, all that stuff done. Um, found a really nice, nice yellow stud that was a master hunter. Um, obviously he had all his clearances and stuff and, and had the litter and I actually bred, um, the litter that my first titled dog came out of. Okay. That's, um, is that, is that where Kane come from? Is that where you're going yeah, with? Yeah. Okay. Kane, yes. Yeah. 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 Kane was our, Kane was one of, he was the puppy that I kept out of our first litter ever. Um, 
so you know it's kind of been it's for me it's not about the the test and I want to be able to look back for years and years, you know, when I'm an old man and say, all right, well, here's where I started and here's where we've come to. Um, so that's, that's kind of Kane. Um, how far do you want me to like, do you want me to start with testing? Do you want me to start with, well, I, we're definitely going to get into testing, but I know with Kane, you've been having a lot going on here recently with, uh, health issues and, and, and that big story. So why don't you touch on that? And then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the testing and everything. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so in probably October of last year, I was going through some trail camera pictures, uh, you know, doing my normal deer hunting thing. And, uh, my girlfriend was sitting on the bed behind me, uh, petting cane and he had rolled over on his belly and she said, Hey, you know, look at this. And he had a tumor, probably a little smaller than a quarter, um, in circumference, uh, on his scrotum. And it was, it was pretty thick. It was probably, uh, you know, an eighth of an inch thick, but it didn't feel like it was attached to his testicle. It felt like it was just on the scrotum. Um, so we, you know, did the, the, the normal thing, took him to our vet. Um, our vet's wonderful. I trust anything he does. I've dealt with him, you know, going on eight, nine years now. Um, and he's always taken really good care of us. He said, listen, I don't think it's anything to worry about. Um, just looks kind of like a fatty tumor. doesn't look like anything major. He said, we'll remove it. He said, basically he said, let's wait a month. If it gets smaller, we'll, you know, no surgery, no nothing. He said, if it, if it gets bigger, stays the same in a month, we will remove the tumor and send it off for biopsy. So fast forward a month, um, he, the tumor hadn't got any smaller. It was still about the same size, really hadn't changed much. And so they sent it off for biopsy. I think it was the day after Thanksgiving. It was Black Friday. He called me, which typically if it's nothing major, you know, the vet techs will call me. And I'm, like, like I said, we deal with them quite a bit. So I know most of the people in their office. Um, so when, when I answered the phone and it was him, I knew something was up. Um, turned out that that cancer was a grade three mast cell tumor, um, which is a very, very aggressive mast cell form of a mast cell tumor. Yeah. Um, on his scrotum. Uh, so he said, listen, he said, we could, he said, we can just leave it alone. He said, I feel like I got good margins. The biopsy said I got good margins. He said, or we could go through, um, Ohio state university's, uh, veterinary hospital and let them take a look at him and just see what they wanted to do. And yeah, you know, I've already, I've already got a ton of money invested in my dog. He's my buddy. You know, he's, he's my, he is my ride or die. He's, you know, he's pretty much with me all the time. Yeah. Um, so obviously we went to Ohio State, um, and they pretty much told us when we got there that we would have right around a year left with him. That most dogs, all the statistics, all the studies on grade three mast cell tumors say that once a dog's diagnosed with a grade three mast cell tumor, they've got about a year left. Um, mm -hmm. Even if it's removed, even if it's operable, you know, it's it's pretty likely that it'll come back and it'll come back even before the 12 week chemo period is up. Um, so we talked to the doctors, um, they wanted to neuter him and do a complete scrotal ablation. So in most cases where they, they neuter a dog, they just remove the testicles. So, you know, so the scrotum back up. So he had to have actually most of the tissue around his scrotum even removed. Um, so he had pretty good incision, um, 
And let's see. So they did this, the, that, and then we waited about two weeks, and then they wanted to start chemo. Um, we went through eight total rounds of chemotherapy. Uh, first four, first four treatments were four weeks in a row. Um, and then the second four treatments were every other week. So it was about a total of 12, 12 weeks there. We, we dealt with treatment. Um, they did three scans, um, one prior to starting chemo, um, one in the middle and one at the end. Um, the first scan came back clean. Second can, scan came back clean. Third scan came back clean. Um, so what's odd about his case, you know, I was basically preparing for the worst when I got the diagnosis and talked to Dr. Evans at Ohio sure. State, um, you know, hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. Um, you know, he's seven. he was seven years old at the time of diagnosis. He had just turned seven. Um, so, you know, in my mind lab, I should get 10, 12, you know, possibly 15 years out of my dog. I'm, you know, you're looking at cutting pretty good chunk of his life out. And, you know, I just wasn't quite ready for it. Um, so, so I was trying to, like I said, get my head right and kind of wrap my head around, maybe not being able to hunt my dog anymore, not be able to spend any more days with him. Um, but so in talking to her after we kind of started chemo and, you know, we, I'd kind of ask her some, okay, well, what if scenarios? And, she said, you know, we were talking and she said something and it, and it cued me to say, well, listen, I want to know your experience with this. I said, uh, you know, Dr. Evans, I want your personal experience. I said, I get, you know, what all the papers are saying. I said, you know, I want to, have you seen any cases similar to Kane's, you know, where, you know, is there anything you can compare that you've seen in person? Um, and basically what she told me that day and her mood had kind of changed at this point, we were probably three, maybe two or three treatments in um, and her mood had kind of changed. And she said, well, realistically, she said, the only case that I've ever seen that's even remotely similar to Kane's case is she said, there's a, a little pit bull that comes into the clinic. She said, we've been seeing her for about three years now. Um, so what they failed to tell me in the beginning that most of those grade three mast cell tumors have already metastasized the spleen and liver, um, already metastasized when the dogs come in for their initial scans. So Kane had never metastasized. All his scans have been clean from day one. Um, so I got a, looking back, I got a little bit worked up, but all of the information that had been given to me kind of was like, okay, you need to be ready for, for the worst possible scenario. Um, yeah. you know, later on down the road, I kind of found out and, and, and again, I don't blame anybody for it. Again, it's not, uh, not an oncologist job to, to say, okay, well, you've got plenty of hope, you know, there's a good chance he'll make it out of this. It's her job to prepare me for the worst, you know? So, but I, I, we weren't in quite as bad a shape as, as I thought we were originally. Wow. So, and, and it goes to say, I mean, how you're driving to these treatments and you're, you're putting up the cost for this dog. And I mean, a lot of the, the people listening to this may get it. And then other people may, may not get it because a lot of people may not want to deal with the cost or, or, or the right. headache. And, uh, well, and, and f fortunately I, I had uh, pet insurance on him. Um, oh, okay. I, that he's helps already out. had an ACL surgery. Um, when I took the job I'm at right now, they offered pet insurance through, uh, through the company. So that's nice. Now, 
it, it is very nice. That being said, my decisions for treatment would have been no different had, you know, I would have re- refinanced my house if I had to. Right. Um, <laughs> but but that being said, it definitely made it nice. And I would for sure recommend, I think it's like $19 a pay period. So it's, you know, 40 bucks a month. And, uh, you know, this would have, I mean, all of the scans, I think we're right at like $1,100. So, you know, we're at $3,300 just in the scans. And most of the chemo treatments were 350 to $400. Um, so, so you can do the math. insurance policy is worth it for sure. It's one of those abs- things you get and you hope you never have to use it. They paid ninety percent of it, man. Like I, I nation nationwide pet insurance has, and it, literally, I have an app on my phone. I take a picture of the receipts, scan it in, and they send me a check. Wow! It's been literally, I've I have less trouble out of my pet insurance than I do my human insurance. My, you know, my <laughs> my personal insurance. Go figure. So you spent weeks and weeks, and obviously all the costs, the insurance definitely helped on that. But you're you're also driving. Uh, hours for the treatment and on all this. And and I think it's important to touch on because what I'm getting at with all this is obviously it's a, it's a crazy story and a a lot of, a a lot of downtime and treatment and all that. What I'm curious is did all this treatment and surgery take anything out of the dog as far as capability or desire or drive or anything like that? So I would say yes and no. Um, we're two weeks out of our last treatment and he's just now, (coughs) sorry about that. Um, he's just now back to what I would call normal energy levels. Um, the first four weeks, you know, he had had the, the, he had been neutered and the scrotal ablation. He had, had, uh, all of the other, the chemo treatments. So the first four treatments, I really didn't notice how lethargic he was. You know, we were going back to the vet and saying, you know, look, he's doing great. He's playing with the puppy. He's, you know, he's still hunting. We hunt, he, I think he missed a total of like two weeks of hunting season this year. And that was just because of incisions. Um, you know, he was, he was just healing up and, and I couldn't get him in water. You know, again, I didn't want to get it infected or, um, so, but, but after that, when we got into the every other week, I could see at that point then, okay, when we get out to the second week, he, he definitely has more energy, you know, not that he's any less or any more willing or any less willing with or without the chemo. He was still wanting to go. It just, he, he, you could, I could tell he felt better. He recovered a little quicker, um, you know, so really, I would say no. Um, the yeah, I, the I can, one thing that I think is kind of out the the jury's still out on is the the neuter. Uh, you know, I don't really know. I don't think we're far enough away from chemo to me for me to be able to say, okay, well, he still feels really good. His his energy level, his drive is still as good without the testosterone. You know, again, that that I may never know the answer. It could be age related stuff that I see or, you know, he's he's not a young dog anymore. But, uh, you know, he he I really overall for what he's been through, he's he's probably better off from it than I am. Yeah, I mean, you won't know if it's the chemo or lack of testosterone, you know, or age that affects his drive. And it could be a combination of all three. But 
I'll tell you, either way, it's amazing what dogs can handle in comparison to humans because, you know, him taking a couple of weeks out after chemo treatment and then getting right back into it. Right. Humans no, and, generally and, don't handle it that way. Well, and so that being said, um, it, the, the goal for canine chemotherapy is basically they set me down the first day and they said, listen, our goal is to not cure cancer. Our goal is to give you more time with your dog and make them comfortable. They said they can't tell us how they're feeling. You know, you've got to watch for bodily signs. You've got to watch for, right. you know, lack lack of appetite and stuff. So the way they do canine chemotherapy, and that was my thing from the beginning. I said, you know, I would do the treatment. However, if it's going to make him miserable, if he's going to lose his hair and his quality of life is going to be awful, I'm not doing it. You know, he's done too much for me, um, over his life for me to, for me to be selfish and make decisions that make him miserable. Right. Yeah. Or you got to ask yourself if you're being selfish or if you're you know, being really generous to give the dog the life he deserves. Right, right. So when they told me, you know, basically it's a different different thought process on treating canine versus, you know, human cancer, I was like, okay, this is much better. And again, they basically said, you know, you're not going to hurt anything. If you do the first chemo treatment and you hate it and he's miserable, we can stop and, you know, again, that's your call. So uh, I, I tried to do everything with an unbiased opinion really take the doctor's opinions and the information they were giving me and make rash, rational decisions that weren't going to negatively affect him. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So so now that you're done with treatment and everything, what's the plan for Kane moving forward? Are you just hunting them or are you still going to continue to to test and trial them? Um our only real goal um my only real goal, he he could care less about ribbons or, or bumpers or ducks or he just, you know, he wants to do whatever makes me happy. Um, we we have not finished our finish title in HRC yet. Um, he's got his season title. Um, we've got all I need is four passes uh, to get his HRCH. And that's a kind of a goal. But if he's... He's always been a dog. He's always enjoyed hunting more than he enjoys tests or training or, you know, he's he's kind of your game day guy. Um, if he if I feel like he's training well and he's enjoying training, I'm I'm going to let him I'm going to push him as much as he'll let me push him and, you know, go pick up four series and be done with it. Uh, so some I understand like a portion of those things. So explain to me like the HRC, how that works, the different titles and stuff that that are your goals uh break that down for me okay so hold on can we back up i've got i've got a story i want to tell about him because i'm gonna brag on him i'm gonna it's this is a selfless plug (laughs) brag away and then you can educate me on hrc okay so way way back early in the year last year um kane titled the year before last with his master title in the akc which we'll get into that in a minute but um Again, he's seven years old. He's worked his butt off. He's trained um, countless hours, man. So I wanted to take him on a hunt where he was going to pick up as many birds as he could possibly pick up. Um, just kind of his reward, you know, that's, he enjoys hunting. He enjoys picking up birds. Uh, so I decided early last year that I was going to take him on a snow goose hunt, never paid for a hunt in my life. I'm a, I'm a DIY guy. Uh, you know, I, I do not like paying for stuff that I can do for free. Um, but I took him the first three birds that he picked up in Arkansas, 
during chemo, we were, we were on our, I think that was our second to last treatment. Um, he picked the first three birds he picked up in Arkansas were over 400 yards away or well, we'll say 300, three, 300 to 350 between 300 and 400 yards. Um, yeah. So he, he, he worked his butt off. Now he was sore the next day. Um, but, but it, it was, like I said, that was kind of a, a cool thing for me and him to get to go experience, you know, in November, I was wondering if I was going to be able to hunt him at all. And, you know, in February, we're still picking up birds that are way out there. Wow. That's awesome. So, so we leave the doctor as a kid, we get lollipops and the do- dog gets to leave the doctor and go hunting in Arkansas. He gets a snow <laughs> shoes on. He was, dude, he was so, it was so much fun. Those, again, most of what we're picking up are Canada's and, and, you know, mallards and divers and stuff. He was it, having a blast picking up white bucket blinds at 300 yards. <laughs> he could see them. He was like, all right, this is my game. Nice. That's awesome. So yeah, to, to kind of go with what Adam was asking you, let's, yeah, there's a couple different venues for for retrievers, just like there is in any other dog world. But what you've run is you, you prefer, and I think primarily run AKC, but you do a lot of HRC. So let's let's break down HRC uh, as far as you're familiar with and your experience, and then we'll kind of get into the AKC stuff. So start start with HRC and kind of break down the different levels of testing and requirements. Okay, um, HRC starts um, at uh, started level um it's called the puppy class akc has a puppy class as well um basically what the dog has to do is pick up two singles on land and two singles on water and retrieve them within an area they do not have to be steady they don't have to deliver to hand um you don't have to handle a gun um Basically, they just want to test your dog's marking ability in this class, you know, and be able to show some sort of control um, over the dog with obedience and, you know, on your way to holding blinds, on your way to the line. And, you know, um, for seasoned, um, which is the the title that Kane currently holds in the HRC, um, you run a double on land with a blind, a double on water with a blind. There's a diversion bird. I'm pretty sure, man, it's been so long. He was 11 months old when he titled for for season, and it's been a while since I've been to a test. Um, But I'm pretty sure there's a diversion bird. So basically, they're going to throw a bird into the field that he's working in um, within relatively close proximity um, while he's on his way back from a mark. Um, You know, again, it's diversion. They're trying to coax the dog into switching and going and picking up the other bird. Um, you aren't allowed to, do they then have to retrieve the diversion bird after they return the original mark? Yes, they do, but that's a control. Um, so they, they aren't testing his marking ability so I can handle him. If he doesn't mark it well, um, I can handle him and it doesn't count against me. Gotcha. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Um, the dog has to be steady. You cannot have your hands on the dog, no collars, um, I'm trying to think you handle the gun at senior. Um, I can't remember if they do a walk up, which a walk up would be, you know, we're walking to the line, they launch a bird. They have, the dog has to sit and then go pick up the birds. Um, and I I can't remember if they do a walk up in HRC in HRC or not. It's like I said, it's been so long since I've done it. Um, and then there's not much difference as far as how the test is put on, um, for season to finished finished. It's a triple, 
and a blind on land, a triple and a blind on water. Um, still get the diversion bird. Um, yeah, and I mean, pretty much it's all so, the same. So when you say like a double or a triple, are you talking yeah, yeah. like a double marked retrieve? Like there's two birds out there for them to go pick up? Yes, sir. Um, okay. So what what they what they what they do is you know for for started they throw one bird. The dog has to sit, watch the bird hit the ground, go pick it up, bring it back. For a double, they have to watch two birds go down, remember where both birds are, go pick them up, bring them back, run the blind, and then for finished, they it's a triple same thing. You just add another bird and run the blind. All right. So, so with HRC, to to the best of your recollection, uh, yeah, yeah. What what are the primary breeds that run HRC? Is it is it different than AKC, or is some breeds allowed in one as opposed to the other? Or is it- that's more that's more geographical um, okay. depending on what state you're running in like down south like south South Carolina you get a lot of Boykin spaniels um, certain areas you'll get more chessies we run a couple clubs in northern Ohio that have a lot of goldens um, you know it just it depends on that's more geographical than it is AKC UKC what that about, makes sense what about versatile dogs do you see see any of them running HRC at all um like Nick's I said, really getting at can we run our short hairs in this thing and come embarrass ourselves? I don't, I, I don't know that you can run short hairs. Now that that being said, you should be able to. I've, I think I've seen a, a what are they called a, a drathar? Uh, yeah, um, I think I've seen them run. Or I know I've seen them run. Um, I've seen poodles run. Um, as long as they're registered and they again, there's a list of of you know, whatever breeds are, are acceptable. I don't know that the short hairs would be, um, I don't know why they would, would be excluded. Um, you know, a lot of people are using them for waterfowl dogs now. So yeah. I, I don't know why, why they would exclude them from the list. I, They're I, working dogs. So. Yeah. But I, I believe at just first glance that HRC is kind of the UKC gun dog breeze. But I, so, I mean, that would be included that your short hairs and, and, and all those versatile dogs. But I, I was just curious as far as the retriever test, because I know HRC also has some upland testing and stuff like that as well. So I didn't, I didn't know if they were allowed in the retriever test. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I guess okay. I could Google. It. <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll look so, that up later. <laughs> so you were saying like there's the started level and then the seasoned level for each of those different levels. Do you have to test multiple times and get in a, a certain number of, passes to achieve that title or do you test once and done how's that work so for hrc it's a point system um at the if you get a pass you get x number of points for started you get x number of points for season you get x number of points for finish for me to quote those i would botch that so bad so i'm not no, going to tell you that point. um what i think it works out to be for started is four started passes um four seasoned passes um, and four finished passes. If you do them sequentially and you title in all of them, points carry. So if you were to start in finished, it would take more points in finished. I think you would have to do five or maybe even six passes to get your title if you skip, you know, started and, and seasoned. Gotcha. Okay. Does think, that make sense? So yeah, I think AKC is the same way, right? Yes. So for, for AKC, their puppy class is four passes. If you do not do the puppy class, senior is, which is the intermediate level, um, senior is five pass, or yes, 
five passes. If you don't do any of them and you start straight into master, it's six passes to get your title. Okay. So let's just keep going down AKC. You're, you're more familiar with that and that's your kind of comfort zone. So kind of what are, is it the level of testing? Is it different than HRC? Like as far as requirements and what they're actually doing in each level test? Uh, in, in junior and senior and started and seasoned, there are minimal differences. Um, so in junior, the dog has to be, does not have to be steady still. Um, you're allowed to hold onto their collar and, and restrain them. They go pick up a single, bring it back. The, the main difference is they have to, re- or they have to deliver the bird to hand that you're not allowed to pick the bird up off the ground. Um, so they're wanting a little bit more control out of your dog, um, Maybe a little pickier on line manners, and you know, if a dog's trying to pull somebody down and go get birds before they release, the you know, they're they're probably going to be a little pickier in AKC. Um, the testing is very similar, though, as far as se- from season to ju- or started to junior. I'm sorry, started to junior. It's still a single or two singles on land, two singles on water, um, and in senior. Um, a double with a blind on land, a double with blind on water. Um, the the big differences is you're not allowed to talk to your dog while birds are being thrown. Um, so once I signal for birds to be thrown, I'm not allowed to talk to my dog. In junior, I'm still allowed to restrain, but I'm not allowed to tell them to sit. I'm not allowed to tell them anything until I'm released. Um, same thing in in season or in senior and master. Uh, the big big difference between AKC and and HRC is at the finish level or master level. Um, they the AKC run they they make you run three series in master. Um, you have to see two triples and you have to run a land test and a water test. And typically, your one of your series will be a land water where you know they can throw a double and one bird be water, one be one bird be blank or one bird one bird be water, one bird be land. Um. The other thing that you get at AKC that you don't get at HRC is multiple blinds in one series. So sometimes you'll run a triple-double, a triple mark with a double blind or a double-double, or you may see a triple with a single. It just depends. Um, most I, I think the rule book states that you have to have a blind in every series and you have to have at least a double mark in every series. So I, like they can't r- go run a third series and it just be a single mark and a single blind. Gotcha. And so this is the hunt test. So, so real quick, what's the difference between an AKC hunt test and an AKC field trial? Um, the fact that it's a competition, um, dogs place in field trials. So you've got derbies, quals, opens, and amateurs. Um, derbies are for, and those kind of all fall under the field trial, uh, umbrella. Um, derbies are for dogs under two years old. Um, they run, and it's called what what they call derby doubles, um, long distance, probably two, two maybe three hundred yards on marks, um, doubles, um, really hard concept marks. Um, but but again, you got to consider you're running dogs under two years old, so it's a a, a pretty big game. Um, then there's quals. The qual has four series um, in field trials. They split up. They run. Typically, the order they run in is they run um, 
landmarks and it's usually a triple it can even be up to a quad um much longer distances than hunt tests you know you're looking at 150 anywhere from 150 70 pretty much anywhere from 75 to 300 yards 250 yards um the marks again really hard concepts um with marking they'll retire gunners um in, in field trials and quals um now when you say they're they really hard concepts what do you what do you mean by that? Um, terrain features, um, the way they're throwing the birds. So the the way they can throw birds, and again, this is a much, much deeper topic. You know, I can skim over it, but it would take a long time to really yeah. discuss it. Um, but, uh, you know, the way they throw birds, so they can throw uh, what, what I call a hip pocket. It's one bird comes out short, one bird comes out basically in line with the other bird comes out long and they pick up the short bird first. And basically what that's trying to do is wipe out the memory of that long bird. They think they've already picked it up. Okay. So really hard concepts. Again, you've got to be, you've got to train for every concept that they can throw at you. And again, you're competing against other dogs. You're placing, you know, first and second, uh, are points, um, which gets you qualified all age or, you know, down uh or get you to qualified all age uh there's also a qa2 title um and then amateurs are pretty much the same thing as a qual a little bit longer distance a little bit harder concepts the way they set the tests up will be a little bit more difficult and force the dogs to make mistakes um pros are not allowed to run in the amateurs obviously in the ams um and then the opens anybody can run them uh, but again, they're even further distances. And again, they're, they're kind of fighting the pros at that point and making the pros really stay on top of their game. Um, but I, I skipped over it. So in a qual, the way they would run it, typically the order is they do landmarks, which can be up to a triple or a double or a quad, or, you know, they can throw anything they want. Pretty much. They do a land blind, um, long distances you're talking 250 300 yards you know depending on terrain features and how difficult the blind is then you do a water blind and then you come back and do your water marks and at every point throughout this after the landmarks some dogs will get dropped from the flight um because they didn't do good enough work then you go run the land blind some dogs get dropped so typically by the time you get to water marks that's kind of decides who wins it um Everybody is going to place. It just depends on who's getting in collar and, and getting their points and, and, you know, towards their titles. Well, I, I've got a few questions after all that. <laughs> it's drinking from a fire hose yeah. in a world that we're not familiar with. So I'm, right, I'm right. going to assume you run trials and tests. It sounds like you know enough about both. I do not. I've never ran in a trial. Uh, okay. My new pup. My new pup that's two years old. I'm hoping the beginning of next year, if the coronavirus ever lets us run tests yeah. again. Um, I plan on running her in some quals next year. Uh, when you start talking field trials, you're talking, that's the big leagues. Um, those dogs are typically those dogs are on pros trucks. Um, it's, 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 it's the big show, man. It's, it's intimidating. And again, you show up, pay your money and you may go home and not get anything. Um, even if you do run well and the dog does really well in the test the title you know you you still may come in you know get a jam which would be fifth or sixth place reserve jam whatever and and still going home empty-handed pretty much other than the experience and hopefully a learning uh a a learning tool and i'm sure there's still some camaraderie at that level with the with the trials 
But I'd imagine that the hunt tests are a little more friendly. There's some more <laughs> tailgate talk. People are getting along. There's not money at stake, right? Well, the, I mean, everybody's still paying their money at hunt tests. Again, the clubs have to operate, but there's, you know, there. But I'm not yes, competing against you for that correct, money, right? Cor- correct. Yeah. Um, I would say field trials again. The pros, most of the pros that run that stuff know each other. Um, so, and again, most of what you're seeing. At, at those tests are pros or pros running their own dogs or, you know, quals. There's a lot of amateurs that run and most of the amateurs are all going to be cordial and, and, you know, talk to you. And uh, again, I, I, I went to one last spring and watched a friend of mine run her dogs. And I talked, you know, of course I can talk to anybody. Um, I was blessed with the gift of gab. So, but I talked to a lot of different people and, you know, talk training strategies. Now I wasn't running a dog, so it wasn't like I was trying to steal tips for the, you know, for that, that event. So they were, they were probably a little more open with me than they were anybody (laughs) else, but you know, not giving uh, away their secrets. Right. Right. Um, as far as hunt tests are concerned, absolutely. Um, I, the, I've never, and again, there are all types of people at these. So to say, to say that you know you're going to run into rude people or you're not going to run into rude people or jerks it would be you know a lie you're going to run into sure. people like that in any any venue you're in it doesn't matter if you're talking ballet you're going to run into somebody that's a <laughs> douchebag I agree uh, but but no for the most part it's a lot more accepting the pro the pros still tend to stick to their self um, at hunt test uh, because again you may have a pro running eight dogs in one master flight three three dogs in the senior flight and five or six dogs in the junior flight so they're really busy running around trying to get all their dogs in um, so if if pros aren't very talkative and you're at a hunt test don't blame them because they're super busy they're um, working <laughs> so, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. the titles these dogs get at a uh, trial would still be master hunter or senior hunter, correct? No, 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 okay. no. So when you look at a pedigree, um, a, the, there are no titles for derbies. Um, they have a derby, a yearly derby list, and and what you'll see is you know this dog was the 2018 derby, you know high point derby dog, or you know they go on a list, and uh, and again a lot of this stuff I'm not super familiar with. Most of my knowledge comes from watching you know pedigrees on social yeah. media. And well, AKC is not putting that in the pedigree, but the but the breeder's probably going to put that in, in the pedigree Absolute, when he generates absolutely. it on his own. Um, so qual, so for quals or qualifying stakes, um, you will get, um, qualified all age or QA two, which is basically the QA two basically signifies that that dog has won or come in second place in two quals. Um, a qualified all age means that the dog, um, one or come in second place in a qual um for and then in in opens and amateurs there are uh fc and afc the basically an fc or an afc means you've accumulated x number of points over the dog's life and i don't i'm not sure on the number of points plus they have a win in an open or a win in an amateur um so in open points count towards amateur amateur points do not count towards open i i i think i'm right on that don't quote me on it but i'm pretty sure that's how that works <laughs> so uh, right now I, i'm i'm remembering what it felt like when i first got into the versatile and navda world learning all these tests and and abbreviations and all that because it's right right it's just it's just hit me i'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to all this so 
So I guess we could have asked this at the very beginning. Pretend I'm just, you know, Bubba down the street that has my dog and all I want to do is hunt. Uh, I have a meat dog. What would you say to me is the benefit as far as a hunting dog goes to to put your dog through a test or a trial? For me personally, that reason is to have a goal to train towards. Um, if I run tests every summer, I have a reason to keep my dog sharp. I have a reason to go throw bumpers, you know, three, four, five times a week. Um, I have a, I have a reason to push them to be the best that they can be because I want to go do well and not be embarrassed when I show up and look like I, you know, I've never been to a test before. Um, so I would say for, for me personally and for everybody, it's going to be different, but for, for me personally, if you've got a dog that's worth working with, and worth running in a test it's a reward for them it's more birds in the summer that they get to pick up they uh, they throw real birds at, at hunt tests so you know it's more real birds it's more experience getting to getting to go pick birds up it's you know distractions again if you've got a, a 60 dog flight you've got 10 or 12 trucks parked around or more 20 or 30 dogs barking and you know it, it kind of it gives you a little bit more in the distraction area um you know, again, I'm not worried about my dog getting distracted by a, a, a train horn off in the distance while we're trying to shoot birds and mark them or, or trying to give them a cast to go to a bird. If they're running tests, then they're used to being people and other gunshots and, you know, car horns and stuff like that. It, it's a, it, that would be the added benefit for me. Um, again, most people look at it from a, well, I want to, uh, it's a bragging right. Again, I'm sure the titles are very similar in the upland world, but it's a, it's again it's a it's a place for somebody to say, okay, well, my dog can do this level of work. You know, when I go to tell somebody that I'm going hunting with, okay, well, he's got a junior title. Let me tell you what a junior title entails. If I'm going with a group of guys and they're leery of a gun dog, they know that okay, well, if I'm running season, the dog can pick up simple blinds, pick up a double, and it's steady to gunshot. You know, so again, it's kind of beneficial in that way that you can tell people, okay, well, listen, I've got a title that says my dog can do this level of work um, in a simulated hunting scenario. So again, it's helped me out. You know, when I when I was talking to guides to go on the snow goose hunt in Arkansas, um, I want to again my make or break for me was if I can take my dog. Well, a lot of guides don't want you bringing your own dog because you've got other clients in the field. Don't want to ruin that hunt for them. So when I can talk to these, these, uh, talk, talk to the guides, I can say, listen, I trained this dog myself. I know what he's capable of and here's proof of what he's capable of. Yeah. If that makes sense. Now I would say it's a little, I would say it's a little different if a pro trains your dog and you're just handling your dog. Um, again, I, I have a lot more control over my dog than a lot of people, uh, that, that are just have average hunting dogs. But again, Kane, I've spent a lot of time with Kane for that. Um, that being said, most people who don't train their own dog don't have that same level of control or that same bond. Again, my girlfriend spends as much time with my dogs as I do. They don't work for her like they work for me. Right. I did all the training. They respect me. They understand that if they don't do what I'm asking, there's probably going to be some consequences or, you know, well, we're just not getting birds that day. Yeah. And so, I mean, in the world that we come from, we hear a lot. Of the, I just I just want to hunt my dog and I'm not interested in testing and, and stuff like that. But but just from from my point of view, I mean, this this may be inaccurate, but it's 
it seems to me that I hear more from retriever guys that, you know, they just have a meat dog and they're not interested in, in trialing. I hear more, more of that in the retriever world than I do, do the world that we're familiar with. And when you talk to them, you just explained a, a lot of the stuff that I say a, a lot of the same stuff on our side of the tracks, but there's a few, few, um, common complaints or, questions that i hear from retriever guys when it comes to trials and probably the most most common one i'm going to kind of put you on the spot here see if you can give us an answer to it is it's kind of like say when you send your dog on a water retrieve and it has to go straight through the water and back through the water when it could in a hunting scenario run the bank and get around there 10 times faster and get the bird and get back why is that such a hang-up in the trial world um, again, it's just a level of control over your dog. They're testing. They aren't testing your dog on its natural hunting ability. They're testing your dog on your, your and its teamwork. Um, again, they, they have to be able to pick up three birds and remember where they are out of three series in a master test. I am able to help him pick up one bird. So if he forgets where one of those marks are, I can handle him to it. So out of a potential you could pick up nine marks out of nine marks he has to be at least not he has to pick up at least eight out of those nine birds so they're testing him well now when it comes to all of the other stuff they're testing basically how well trained is your dog how well does your dog listen to you does it respect you enough to line up and give you that line through that corner you know again Annie and Kane was never trained this way again. We, uh, most of the time, I think we got lucky getting through and getting our master title, but Annie will run through three or four foot of water. You know, if there's, if she will cut a corner and have three foot of water on her one side and be bank on the other, because I've trained her to do that again, it's, it's how well are they trained? How much control do you have over your dog that those judges are looking for? So, Um, so really it's just obedience is, is what they're looking for in cooperation with the dog. Yeah, and and I wouldn't say that that falls under obedience for a retriever. It's more repetition and, okay, are you going to do what I've showed you to do or are you going to kind of do your own thing and go independent on me and and do what you want to do? You know, again, to me, when when you say, all right, a dog can take that skinny of a line through the corner of a pond, that says that you've spent enough time with that dog that it understands that you want it to go through the corner even though that's not the smartest thing. Gotcha. So – so yeah, I mean it, it's just a completely different world, and like I said, I mean that's that's probably the most common one when I just talk right. to you know when you go duck hunting with some buddies and and they have a lab and you're like, what level have you test? Oh, I'm not interested in trial, and it's it's right. it's ridiculous. Well, <laughs> and, and so and so that being said, the, a couple of years ago I was in Michigan and we shot some birds, and guy had his his dog with him it was a meat dog and she was a nice little dog and she picked up several birds that day and she did a great job well we shot one that landed probably 50 60 yards across from us we were hunting on a little island um 50 or 60 yards across from us in some marshy stuff right on the bank you could we could see the bird from where it landed um and he said hey do you care if i let her pick this up and i said sure go ahead you know so he sent her well when she got to where that bird was laying there was ice in the corner of the water we were hunting on a little creek and the water was running pretty good is why it was open and the birds were in there 
Um, when she got to that corner, there was ice across the corner where it was kind of calm in that corner. She couldn't get up on the ice. She fooled around and tried and tried and tried and tried to get up there and get the bird. Well, she came back. So I just lined Kane up. He knew where it was at. He marked it. So I send him out, let him get over there, and I blow a whistle and handle him to the bank where there is no ice. And then I, I blow another whistle when he gets on the bank and cast him, and he knows, okay, well, that, now I'll go get this bird. That's the bird he wants. So he brought it back. So f- when 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 I hear those guys say, well, it's nonsense to, to test your dog and to train your dog to that level – I feel like that's pretty close minded. My dog can pick up a lot of birds right. that a lot of meat dogs aren't going to pick up. I think you, know? you either got to have the once in a lifetime dog that has the brains to go figure out how to negotiate the ice along the bank and get to the bird and all that, or be able to train the other 90% of your dogs to be handled to the bird. Right. Right. And, and a lot of these meat dogs, a lot of these guys don't give themselves credit. Uh, you know, I've seen some really nice quote unquote meat dogs, um, that will take hand signals and, and, you know, have an unreal nose and have dug out a lot of birds. Um, Kane's actually got a litter mate brother who grew up in Florida, has hunted the, the brackish water, you know, lagoons and backwaters in Florida his whole life. Never, never did a day of force fetch, never did, um, any casting with him, but just Jeff working with him and, and hunting him. They, they did their own thing and Ford started relying on him when he realized birds were really hard to find. He would come look for help and Jeff would help him and they kind of worked out their own system. He's a, what I would consider a meat dog. He's still a really nice meat dog. Um, you know, he came up here for the first year or for the first time we shot some geese and he hunted with us and he picked up geese. Now he wasn't, he, of course he's a little dog, but he wasn't getting the geese out and bringing them to Jeff, but he would bring them to the bank and go get another one. Um, you know, so so a lot of these guys, I think, sell themselves short on meat dogs, quote unquote. Um, they've got a lot nicer dogs. That being said, if that dog was that nice with the little bit of training you gave it, what could it have been if it had good training? Yeah, that's that's kind of exactly what I was thinking while you were saying that. And and well, Ian, I mean, we we've been going a while on it. I know we just skimmed over a lot of information as far as testing and trials and, and, and all that fun stuff. And we, we really wanted to hit on that because like we, we stated at the start of this, this you're the first retriever guy to, uh, to come on the podcast, but we're definitely going to have you back on and talk more retriever specific training and how you prepare for tests and trials and right, hunting right. scenarios and stuff like that. We're, we're going to be doing mm-hmm. that here soon. Well, it's been an honor to be the first retriever guy. <laughs> yeah. Now, listen, your listeners may hate me so much. They're like, don't ever have that goofy guy back on there. <laughs> if they let us come on every week, I think they'll let you come back on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, Ian, again, um, we appreciate well, it. And we, hold go on. Ahead. I got one more thing yeah. I want to say. The, the, the one thing that I did skim over as far as field trials, hunt tests, uh, AKC, UKC, I talked a lot about distances in field trials. Um, most of your birds at the finished level, finished or master level, are going to be right around 100 yards. Now, anywhere from 50 to 100 yards, they'll throw short breaking birds, you know, maybe 25 yards just to test your dog's steadiness. Um, but most of those birds are anywhere from 50 to 110, 120 yards. Um, 
they step down from there. Most of your birds in senior, or a long a long bird in senior would be ninety yards, um, and junior long bird would be sixty seventy yards. Um, so again, just just for reference real, points on. Yeah, real quick on that note. So like when in NAVDA when we go test, you know, it, testing days are are different based on the scenarios. But overall, we we know generally what you're gonna hit on a specific test you, you know you may not know the exact distance or or wind obviously and stuff like that but are is every test and trial different or do y'all have a set like okay i'm doing my my senior it's going to be this many blinds and marks at this specific distance like it, it or is it completely different every time you show up junior and senior the amount of marks and the amount of uh, blinds you pick up are always the same um, same for start and finished. Um, typically in finished, and again, I've not ran enough finished to be able to really tell you what their tendencies are. Um, but typically with finished, you get three marks on land, three or three marks on water, a land blind, and a water blind. Um, for AKC at master level, you've got to just kind of be prepared for anything. Um, a big a one that got us Kane had Kane still the hardest test that Kane ran to this date. Um, we made it to the third series clean. Um, we didn't, hadn't handled him any at all. His blinds were, I mean, he was probably sitting on eights, eights and nines, um, through the first and second series, which it's possible score is a 10. Um, third series comes up as, uh, the, the judges decided they were going to do what they call a remote sit, um, for us. And I'd never trained for it. Now I've hunted in this situation, um, but what they did is they – me and a judge stood in a holding blind, and they put Kane off my front left hand about 10 yards. And he had to sit at 10 yards, watch three birds go down, and pick them up. Well, the way the judge was calling for the birds was blowing a duck call in the blind with me. Typically not a big deal. Every time the judge would blow the duck call, Kane would look at him or look at the the, the female judge then look back at the bird, then look at her. So his concentration was blown way off. Mm. Typically in so a hunting he's missing scenario out on those marks every time. Yeah, that yeah. Duck well, call goes. He's just not focusing. He's not picking out the pinpoint place right. where the bird landed. Um, typically in a hunting scenario, he's hunting directly on my left side or behind me. So he can see me. He knows when we're calling, he, he's not uncomfortable. You know, he wasn't uncomfortable in those situations cause he can see me and he's watching birds in front of me because I had never trained him for that. He was super uncomfortable. He, his, con- he, his concentration wasn't there and, and he, and I don't know if you guys get this, but he felt like I was trying to set him up a lot of times in training. You have to do things to get the dog to mess up. Yep to be able to correct a problem. Yep. Again, if, if you do the same things repetitiously and they get good at it and they're not messing up anything, you can't correct them. You can't fix a problem. I had never trained for that. So again, he was super uncomfortable and he really felt like he was getting set up as a triple that he could pick up pretty much with his eyes closed. Um, but he was so uncomfortable. I ended up having to double handle him on the third series and we went out. Um, no pass for that test. So again, 
it's uh you kind of got to be prepared for anything and everything in, in the AKC master test again like i said co- concept stuff the way they can the order in which they can throw birds the positioning of birds how close they are to each other it's uh again it's you, you just kind of got to be prepared for anything I, when it comes to master yeah i find that really interesting cuz you get a lot of guys if if you have a test that's set up generally the same time or same way every time you get a lot of people that that train their dogs specifically for the test instead of the scenario changing. And so with that, you, you have to have all your bases covered and really a strong foundation to uh, handle anything that's thrown your way. So, so I think that makes for a better well-rounded dog overall. Oh, for sure. A lot of the club members, like some of the places that we run, a lot of these club members train on the club grounds. Um, and you'll hear some of the amateurs that they say, well, we trained here this week, early in the week. You're not allowed to train on, I think, two days prior to the test. But they'll say, well, we ran that blind on Monday. That dog picked the picture out really, really well. It knows this pond. You know, it knows, again, a lot of the master dogs, uh, the girl I train with, she has a, a little master female that has 80 some passes past the master national five times she's seen just about every scenario that you can throw in a hunt test you know she she can walk to the line and pick she can pick out where the holding blinds are which way you're going to throw it depending on the terrain you know she she's ran all over she's ran pretty much every part of every region of the country she's ran in california she's ran in south carolina she's ran in texas she's ran in minnesota you know so it's really really hard to trick her Right. What, what do you do to get her to mess up? She's seen every scenario and she retains most of it. She knows what she's got in trouble for and she knows what she did well. So good good luck fooling that dog. You know, most of the tests that she's failed has been Tierra uh, nitpicking over line manners, her creeping at the line or, you know, and her just picking her up. Her dog work, good luck confusing her, you know. <laughs> wow, that's that's impressive. Well, Ian, we appreciate you coming on. And like I said, we're definitely going to have you on again very soon and talk about training specific stuff for these retrievers and and get into the nuts and bolts of this. And and hopefully everybody kind of get a general appreciation of what the the retriever side of the testing and trial world consists of right now. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good to me, man. Like I said, it was an honor being the first retriever guy. Uh, We may have a lot of you guys may get a lot of hate mail. Hey, no worries, man. Thanks again, Ian, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, it was good talking to you guys. All right, see ya. Please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. 
Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.